Well, this morning I invite you once again, if you open your Bibles with me and with all of us, to the book of Romans chapter 8. Dave, when are you leaving for Alaska? Oh, this week. Okay. We'll catch you when you get back. I'm waiting for the Sunday when you can read. Maybe you can practice the Romans 8. When you get back? Okay. Because like, it would be great to hear the whole, the whole chapter read into our, into our hearing. Romans 8. This morning we'll be looking at verses 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, we ask that the indwelling spirit that's in the heart of every believer here would give us understanding to your word, would enlighten your word, illuminate it before our hearts. Father, I pray uh, even now as we begin to worship that we would intercede on behalf of of Emily. Father, it's... uh, your providence, you have now brought her to Salt Lake. Uh, she's in a hospital under the care of good doctors. And so we know that your means are being applied to her at this time. And we pray, God, that uh, through the seizures and, and the testing, Lord, that they would be able to resolve what's going on. And we pray that it would be something that would be treatable and something that, that your healing hand could come and, 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 and recover, bring recovery for her, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would you would be with uh, with Dev, Devin Wolf and ask God that you would help him as he's a good good husband to come alongside his his uh, wife and, uh, and and to love her at this time and and, and put his heart at rest and for Jeremiah's uh, father we pray for him the, apparently the seizures he's also experiencing that your healing hand and comforting hand would be upon him. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to you. May we hear your word spoken to us this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, last week God uh, directed us through the Apostle Paul to kill sin. So, how'd you, how'd you do last week? Gone? Is it dead? Huh? Yeah. Wounded. Wounded, yeah. Uh, so how, how did you do? I mean, how did you do at it? Killing sin. It's, uh, you know, one of the things we're going to be seeing, it's really an impossible task uh, in this life to totally eradicate or mortify the flesh of all sin. That's going to happen on the day that we're glorified, that day that we enter into the very presence of, of God and we have a new body, a glorified body. Until then, like you say, wounded, we're in, we're in a warfare at this point, uh, but, but I also want to remind us, before we get too much into verse 14 this morning, to look back at verse 13. And look what Paul reminded us of there. He says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so we see that it's not just us going out in our own flesh, in our own self-will, trying to defeat sin and kill sin in our life because you're, you're apt to be doomed if that's your case. But what comes before that, if by the Spirit, so none of us can do this in the flesh, this is a work of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life to crucify the deeds of the flesh. It's not something we're autonomous and we go off and go on a Don Quixote crusade to somehow defeat sin because you're destined to failure. When you think of the work of the Holy Spirit today, what do you think of? When you think of the Holy Spirit and what you've been taught and what you've heard from others, and uh, what's the general consensus of what the Holy Spirit is doing today? You know, many might be brought to be thinking, well, static speech and utterances. I think of the Holy Spirit and, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And others might be thinking of the dramatic miracles taking place in the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Or I, I've had some call me on the phone and said, do you have powerful worship there at uh, Redeeming Grace Church? Is it spirit-filled? And I said, amen, it is. But I think they had something else in mind. And so we, we, we think of the work of the Holy Spirit, but we want to think of the work of the Holy Spirit in a biblical way. When you come to chapter 8, there you'll find the chapter where God is instructing us on the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the primary work that He's doing in your life, in my life, is to bring us into the pathway of holiness and purity. The Spirit-filled life of the believer is a life of obedience. It's not, there's no mention anywhere, at least in my translation, David, you might tell us when you quote this, but I, I see no, no mention of flamboyant, outward displays of the Holy Spirit here. What I see is a quiet, inward work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. His powerful work of shaping and conforming us into the very image of the Jesus Christ. It's that inward heart work that he's doing. Did you know that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who produces holiness in our life? Should we be surprised that the Holy Spirit would be the one who's producing holiness and that's his ministry in our life? God didn't send his son because he was lonely and he needed people in heaven to kind of occupy heaven and, and, and bring fellowship to him in heaven. Uh, it's not because he wanted a family and he thought he would just go out and, and bring a family into his presence. So I'm going to send my son to, to bring a people into my presence. The whole purpose of, rest, uh, of salvation was to restore mankind unto the holiness that was lost when man fell back in the garden. And so the Holy Spirit came to do this work of bringing us, restoring us into, in, into the holy people that God created us to be. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerated us, brought life to our hearts uh, when He saved us. That's the new birth experience. He brought life. He brought repentance. He brought faith. The Holy Spirit, He then entered into and indwells every believer at this time. And why did he do that? Why did he bring the new birth to us? Why were we born again? Why is it that we have a, a divine nature now within our hearts? Why is it he indwells us? What's he doing there? What work is he doing in your life as a believer? Well, we see that Scripture tells us we're now partakers of a divine nature and uh, we see one day the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to raise us up into a glorified body. And that, that hasn't happened yet. But until then, He's in us. Until then, He's living and indwelling us at this point in our lives. And He's going to be there all the way until the day that you, you die. All, and He's going to be doing a work there this side of eternity. See, the Holy Spirit's not like a... Like, like, like you're a balloon and he, he, you know, it's filled with helium. We're going to call the Holy Spirit. And he's just there. The, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us to do a work. He's actively about working in, in your life to bring you to the point of Christ-likeness. He's not like that adult child who comes in to live in your house and he never leaves. You know, he's down in the basement, and he's watching TV and slobbering on pizza or something like that, and he, has, he won't do any chores or anything like that. And, uh, and so, you know, how, how do you get him out? How, how do you get him out? He's, the Holy Spirit isn't there just indwelling. He's working. He, he, he's carrying out a mission that the Father has given him in your life, and that is to actively conform you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to bring uh, three of the... I think probably many of the most encouraging verses in much of the Bible, watch my words here, but these are very encouraging verses, three, and uh, I want you to listen to them, and I want, I want you to behold these verses. Uh, this is the work of God in your life. This, this is pretty exciting stuff. This is what God is doing in your heart as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see it under three headings. They're in your bulletin, but leading, he's leading you. He's a spirit of adoption. There's an adoption that we're going to see here. And he's bringing assurance to the heart. 
And he's only doing this to the, in the life of a believer. If you're here as a non-Christian, none of this applies to you. I mean, look at verse 14. It talks about the Spirit of God indwelling in the sons of God. Look at verse 15. Adopted sons, it applies to. Verse 16, sons of God again. And so we see that the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, he's there actively working. He's not in the life of an unbeliever. Let's look at the, under the first heading. Let's look at, his, look at his ministry in our hearts by way of leading us. 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God. Now the word for here, some of your translations might even say because, is one of those hinge words. It actually hinges us back to verse 13. And uh, there we saw that we're called to what? Put to death sin. Kill sin uh, that reigns in your mortal body. Kill it. For, so here we are, we're hinging it together, because, now, now, now we're going to see why that's so, uh, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the ones who are mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Every believer. And that's why he has all in here, for all who are led by the Spirit. All believers who are led by the Spirit. Now the word led, I want us to stop there. With, stop with me there as we look at the word are led because I want to drill down a little bit into that word because I think it's going to help us understand what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts, in our lives. So we drill down into this word and we see, first of all, it's in the present tense. That's helpful. Secondly, we're going to see that it's in the passive voice. And then we're also going to see this in the indicative mood. And the question is, what does that mean? Why is that important? Well, it's important because it's not like the Holy Spirit was there and He was leading you and now He's stopped. It's present tense and He's always going to be leading you throughout your whole what? Your whole Christian life. So this is a continually, continual leading of the Holy Spirit that began the moment you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. And he's going to continue to lead you all the way to the very end of your life until you go face to face with Jesus. So that means you're being led right now. You're sitting passively in a chair and, and you're listening to a preacher preach the Word of God. And during this process of hearing the Word of God, the Spirit of God is in you and He's leading you right this moment. And when you sing a song, and, and that song's coming from your heart, it's coming because it's been moved by the Spirit of God who's leading you, leading you in the pathway of, of holiness. And it's also in the passive voice, we see, which tells us that it's not the believer who's doing the acting or the leading, it's the Holy Spirit who is actually acting upon us as believers. He's doing the action to us, and what is he doing? He's leading us. We're not just kind of being led around and just kind of following, we're, we're actually being led, and he's doing all the action. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, the word led there is a word, it's a strong word, be directed by the Spirit. It's taking a person and directing them in a different place than where they are right now, from one position to another. Now, this context here, remember, context is, is everything, does not allow for us to use the word like many Christians commonly use the word, and maybe you've commonly used the word in your own life, and that is, well, you know, the Spirit of God led me to do this, and the Spirit of God led me to do that. You know, I went home early on Friday from work because the Spirit of God led me to leave early. Uh, I'm moving to Oklahoma because the Spirit of God, I don't know if the Spirit of God would lead anybody to go to Oklahoma, but to go to, move to Oklahoma. Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm marrying Susie because God led me to marry Susie. Uh, I was led to pick up this hitchhiker. I was led not to pick up this hitchhiker. So what happens is many people, and many of us as believers, tend to misuse this idea of God's leading or the Holy Spirit leading our life. And we reduce it to an impulse or an inclination that God gives us to do something. And then if we do it, it's because the Holy Spirit led us to do it because we had an inclination to want to do it. 
this is not what Paul means here. This is not inclinations. By the way, I mean, God does take the precepts of his word and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We pray and we seek wisdom and direction and we make decisions. So we're, we understand that. But it's, it's not this impulsive leading of, of, of the Spirit. Here, leading is this. It's a leading to holiness. It's a leading to putting sin to death. It's a leading to our sanctification that Paul is talking about here. It's a leading for us to mortify the deeds of the flesh on the pathway of keeping the law of God. Now, so let me ask you this. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? As a believer, you know, if you ask, personalize that question, let me ask you this first question. You're a believer here in Christ. Does the Holy Spirit indwell you right now? For the rest of your life, will the Holy Spirit be indwelling you? Absolutely. You should say a hearty amen. And then my next question is, what's he doing there? What's he doing in your life that you know about, that you sense? And the answer has to be, he's leading me into holiness. He's not leading me to go home early from work on Friday. He's leading me into holiness. He's leading me into Christ-likeness. He's leading me to put to death the deeds of the flesh that are in me. Psalm 119.35, the psalmist writes, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in doing your commandments. That's the Spirit of God. Paul describes whom, uh, whom he leads uh, when he says, they're the ones who are the sons of God, the ones he's leading. And that's in the emphatic, which means that they are the ones that he's leading in, uh, in the pathway of holiness, and none others, just them exclusively, those of us who are Christians. You see this contrast between believers and unbelievers in the area of the work of the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14, where Paul writes, the natural person who is the what? The unbeliever does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So the, Spirit of, the things of the Spirit of God, they, they have nothing to do with, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. So the preacher gets up on Sunday morning, and he's preaching from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. And he says, this makes no sense to me at all. I don't, I don't understand a word he's saying. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. But, here's the contrast, the spiritual person, the person who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, judges all things, but he himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who's leading us. So if you're being led by the Spirit of God in your life, by the Holy Spirit, you will be killing sin. You will be wrestling and fighting and being wounded occasionally by, by sin. Uh, you will be growing in holiness because he's active. He's just not passive in there. He's doing something. And if you can be certain that, of that, and if you can't be certain of that, then you're not saved. It's a Christian that cries out with a psalmist in 143, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Take me into a more intimate, holy relationship with you. Now, the next question we look at under that first heading is, well, how does he do that? How does the Holy Spirit lead you? He's in you. He lives there. He indwells you. Uh, I was thinking maybe the best picture to think about is in leading is like a shepherd and a sheep. You know, that you have the flock, they follow the leading of the shepherd, and maybe think of the Holy Spirit indwelling you like a shepherd, guiding the way. When you get off the way, he brings you back. And, you know, they're, they're not going their own way and doing their own thing. They're all following the, the, uh, the shepherd. But one of the things God uses for us, the Spirit of God uses for us in guiding us, is the instrument of the, of the Word of God. As we read the Word of God, as we're here today and we're hearing the Word of God preached, uh, then the, the Spirit of God illuminates that Word. You know, our eyes of understanding are opened. And, oh, 
Oh, this is what God wants me to do. That's the active work of the Holy Spirit. He's leading the way. He's showing you the pathway of righteousness. Uh, and so it's like a flashlight. and He's going ahead of us, leading us, exposing the truth for us as we go along the way. And as we see God's will in front of us, we want to follow. Ephesians 1.17 says, but the, Son of, but the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of Him. That's what the Spirit of God does. Having eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe according to the working of the, His great might. That's the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's going ahead of us. He's shining the, a light on the Word of God, the will of God for our life, and using it. We see it, and we understand it, and, and, and our hearts are geared toward doing it, and we begin to follow. That's the pathway to holiness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But in Luke 24, 44, it says, Jesus speaking, Then he said to them, These are my words. I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds, the Spirit of God through Christ, opening their minds to understand all that he has said. And so that's, that's the leading process as he gives enlightenment to the Word of God. And that means you're not going to be led by, by the Holy Spirit unless you're in the Word, unless you're reading the Word, unless you're hearing the Word. Interacting with the Word, that's the means for Him to, to lead you. He's there explaining the law of God to you and how it applies in your life. And He's leading you more and more into holiness. John 14, again, we see these things I've spoken unto you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. But he doesn't just shine the flashlight and say, that way. There it is. Let's just go. He leads you. He's more active than just shining the flashlight. He does show us the way. But he also puts a desire in your heart. This is the work of the Spirit, to hunger and to do the will of God. So that when you see what God wants you to do, and you understand what God wants you to do, he puts the desire in your heart to do it. Not to go like a sheep and go off you know, in some other direction. And not only that, then he strengthens you and he empowers you that not only do you desire to follow that way of truth, you now have the ability to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? Well, you're walking in the pathway of holiness. If you're not walking in the pathway of righteousness, if you're not walking in the way of growing in, in, in holiness then more than likely there's no Spirit of God in you leading you in the direction you should go. You know, I was thinking, you know, uh, Pilgrim's Progress just gives you all kinds of imagery of what God is, is, is doing, especially in Romans 8. But I was thinking as I read through this, uh, there's that part where Christian and uh, get to what's called Bypath Meadow. Remember that, Bypath Meadow? And it just seems to be a little bit of an easier way. And it doesn't seem to be the hard way. It's an easier way. And it kind of parallels with the right way. So let's try Bypath Meadow. And pretty soon they're out in it. I mean, they're in the thick. They're, they're out away, away from the will of God. How do you know you're on being led by God? Well, you're on the right path. How do you know if you're being led by God? You're on the straight and the narrow path. You're not in Bypath Meadows. In short, you're desiring to do the will of God and, and follow in the footsteps of Christ. You know, I was just, it was, was it hopeful and Christian who were out in negotiating where they should go on this path? And uh, oh, Christian saying, hey, this looks pretty good. Let's try this one. And, you know, it was hopeful. It says, hey, this doesn't look good. This is not right. Uh, this, this path uh, should lead us out of the way, is what he actually says. This, this, this is not good. And so, but they go anyway. 
So there's the first one, the leading of God by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's a second work or ministry of the Holy Spirit we see here in verse 15, and that is the, the work of adoption, the spirit of adoption. He's going to bring us the negative first, and then he's going to bring us the positive. The negative is, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now that you're saved and you've been born again, yeah, for, there's that another hinge word, takes us back up to uh, 13, for, because when God saved you and his spirit came to you, he did not give you a spirit of slavery, of bondage to sin, uh, where you were fearful. That's not what the Holy Spirit did. Now, it's true that when you, well, before you were saved, that uh, you had a spirit of, of slavery, a spirit of bondage, a spirit of sin having absolute dominion over you. I mean, this is what we mean when we talk about the uh, total depravity of man. I mean, you're, you're in sin, and there's no way out because you're in bondage, and, uh, and so you need to be delivered by a Redeemer. It's the only way you get out of the bondage of sin. And you're under the curse of the law and un- unable to save yourself. And you're facing the condemnation, the wrath of God. That's how it was. And that's why you, back then you were in fear, it says here. And, and the Spirit of God didn't come to you to put you back into fear. And if you're here today without Christ, this is you. If you're here today without the Lord Jesus Christ, this is speaking to you. It's saying to you that right now you are enslaved to sin. And it's also saying that because you are enslaved to sin, unless you're liberated from your sin, you should have fear in your heart for what all that means to you. That means there's going to come a day of death, a day of judgment, a day of wrath. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you this. Every unbeliever has fear in their heart. Watch them when they die. Watch them how they, you know, at their last minutes, how they approach death. The uncertainty of it, the fear of it. And, and, and what Paul is saying here is when the Holy Spirit came to you, he didn't bring, bring you back into the bondage to slavery to sin. You've been freed from it. And not only have you been freed from it, he didn't put you back into fear so that you fear God. You're a son of God, we're going to see in just a minute. You're at peace with God. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children, of, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook on the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those through who fear death were subject to lifelong slavery. There it is. So we're freed from the death and we're freed from the slavery. No fear. As believers, you've received, at the moment you trusted in Christ, the spirit of adoption. Adoption is one of those great words of the Apostle Paul. It's mainly found, it's not found in the Old Testament. It's found, I don't know, five, five or eight times in the New Testament. Uh, most of the times it's found right in the book of Romans itself by the Apostle Paul. Uh, the spirit of adoption. That's what the Spirit of God's doing in our heart. What does that mean? Uh, we've been freed from fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so we have a contrast. Before, you were in bondage to sin. You feared God. Now, you have the spirit of adoption. And you're no longer in bondage and you're now free. You're a son of God by adoption. Now, if we took all your Bibles and laid them out here on the table and, and looked at this verse, there would be some of you here today that have uh, the spirit of adoption with a capital S. And there would be some of you that have the spirit of adoption with a lowercase s. So if your Bible says uppercase capital S, raise your hand. If your Bible says lowercase s, spirit of adoption, raise your hand. Huh? What's that? Which, which you'll, you'll get one vote, unless you got two Bibles. <laughs> so, yeah. So you can see there's a little division there. Depending on, and, uh, and here's the problem. Which one's right? Is it the Holy Spirit of adoption, or is the spirit of ourselves that's within us that has the spirit of adoption? 
And the theologians like to go back and forth on this. We say it should be an easy, an easy thing to find out. All we've got to do is open up the, the, the New Testament and look at the Greek. And Did, did Paul put a, cal, a capital S or a small s? Upper or lower case? And then you find out, well, wait a minute, I'm doing that. I'm going back to the earliest Greek manuscripts, and I see that every letter is in the uppercase. They didn't have lower and uppercases. They were all in the uppercase. So that's not going to answer the question. So you're left to context. Again, this is why context in understanding Scripture is so important, to give you maybe what the insight. Even with the context, it's still a, a close question here. Um, I think the ESV here says capital S, right? Capital S. Uh, is it the King James small s? Capital S, King James. What, which one's NASB is the small s? Okay. So you can kind of see the, the difference there. So is it the Holy Spirit of adoption, capital S, or is it the Spirit within me of adoption that God has put there? Uh, and uh, personally, I, I just my personal thoughts on this are that uh, the context, since we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, seems to be here's another work of the Holy Spirit, that is, He is the Spirit of adoption. So I would, lead, lead, I would lean towards the capital S. But on the other hand, think of this. I mean, does it doesn't really matter because ultimately it's the, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our spirit in confirming that, that we are, have the spirit of adoption. So it really, in some ways, it's both, but it begins with the work of the Holy Spirit. What is adoption? Well, here it's not so much a relationship between a, a, a parent and a child as it is a, a position. Do you realize that the Jews had no, no, no laws for adoption? It's totally a, a, Roman, a Roman invention, uh, legally that is. We know that when God saved you, the Holy Spirit did what? He birthed you. You became regenerate. You became spiritually alive. And so there's a sense in which you became a son or a daughter of God the moment you trusted in Christ as you're regenerated and have become sons of God. And you can be called the name of sons of God. But also what Paul is adding to that, okay, that's regeneration. And I, in fact, at that birth, I take on the very nature of God himself, my father, as he puts his nature within me. But here what we see is the Holy Spirit then comes along and brings to us the reality of a legal transaction. He's speaking in the, the, the realm of law that uh, there's certain rights and privileges that go with being a son of God, an adopted son of God. The Puritan uh, Stephen Charnock writes, Adoption gives us the privilege of sons. Uh, Regeneration gives us the nature of sons. So you can see the difference. Regeneration, we're born into the son. God is our father by regeneration. We have the nature of a son. But adoption goes further. It gives us the privileges of a son. And by the way, next week, that's what we're going to look at in verse 17, is all the privileges that come to us by way of inheritance from our heavenly father. You know, our confession, those of you... Our confession does a wonderful job of describing adoption. It really takes the whole theology of adoption and puts it into a, kind of a longer paragraph. But it is good. I'm going to read it to you and, and try and follow. I know it's a little a longer quote, but don't get lost in the middle of it when it says, God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption. Okay, are you with me? So all who are justified, all who are saved, trusting in Christ, will receive the grace of adoption. And for the sake of his only Son, Jesus Christ, by this they were counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and the privileges of that relationship. They inherit his name. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace and boldness, and are enabled to cry out, Abba, Father. They are given compassion and protected and provided for, and they're chastened by the Father. Yet they are never cast off, but are sealed 
for the day of redemption and inherit the promises of heirs of everlasting salvation. That's wonderful. That's just a wonderful, concise quote. Uh, there's no adoption that we can, we can find in, in Judaism. Uh, you know, if someone died, you know, usually had a brother kind of step in and take over the family. I mean, they had other ways of dealing with adoptive issues. But in, in ancient Roman culture, we see adoption. And if, if we carry over some of that to, into Paul's thinking, I'm sure it had a, had a place in it. One of the very important things of any adoption is the, the power of the parent to choose the child. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you, 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 you know, sometimes you open up a little brochure of children that are available for a oh, I, I want that one, or I want this one, and tell me about this one. And so we, we choose the child we want to adopt. And then once adopted, the child would be, have equal standing with, with, with the offspring or any other offspring, natural offspring. And so it's true with adoption. I mean, God, before the foundation of the world, chose a family. He chose a people that whom he was going to adopt. Uh, he chose his children. And he didn't do like we, we would do. You know, we're trying to find all the squeaky clean kids in, in the little pamphlet that we're going to be adopting. But, 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 but he looked to people like us. And he saw us before the foundation of the world. I mean, we were rebellious and stained people and full of corruption, defiled. I'm going to adopt that one. I want that one and choose that one to be my child. So it's true with adoption. More than choosing, the adopted child legally then takes on all the rights and the privileges of a natural child. And that the child then can inherit, can inherit all the blessings of the father. So having now been given the spirit of adoption, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we've received the very love of God in our lives. We appreciate his love for us as seen in his son dying on the cross. We have the constant reminder that he loves us and he cares for us and he's meeting our needs and we're an heir of him and we're going to inherit all that, that's in Christ. Is going to, we're going to inherit on, the, on, that, on that day yet to come. No wonder then now we can cry out, he says, Abba, Father. We're led to the point because of this adoptive relationship and how much God loves us, we can respond to him, not out of fear like before, but now out of love we can cry out, Abba, Father. The Father who adopted me into his family and has given me all the privileges, the rights, and the inheritance of a son. I believe this cry, this, this cry is really a loud cry. I don't think we would go out on the top of the roof and start yelling, Hey, I'm the Father! I don't think that's exactly what, what Paul's saying here, but uh, the idea is one of, we're just led by the indwelling Spirit of God to, to cry out passionately to our Father. And by the way, this is an intimate word, isn't it? This is a word that when you, when you hear it, it's a it's word that I've never seen a, a, a really accurate equivalent in the English language. Well, we hear daddy and papa and things like that. But I mean, maybe papa more than daddy, I don't know. But th those kind of words, the intimacy that we have with God, we cry out, Abba, Father. This is a word that is not in the, in the Greek. It's an Aramaic word, and I think it's there for the purpose of emphasis by, by Paul. And so let me just, by way of application, you know, when you pray next time, most of you begin your prayers by introducing your prayer to who? God, the Father. The God, the Father. So we, we begin praying, typically. This is how we were directed to pray. Our Father. Now, I don't think if we take what Jesus gave us and how the template on how we're to pray and apply that with what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 8, we cry out, Abba, Father. I don't think this is a formality. That with this, oh, wow, this is how we you know, open up our prayer life. Our Father. And we don't even think about it. And then we go right into the prayers. Well, Paul's saying that the Spirit of God who abides in you is bringing you to cry out when you're ready to pray, Abba, Father. And so when we come and we begin our prayer life, that's where it begins. 
our mindset, our heart, our emotions, our affections on God and how much we love Him and He loves us. Now as a father, I'm going to bring my petitions before you as my daddy or as my papa. So we can come boldly. Draw close to Him with intimacy. So the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives in us. He does so. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And He does so so that uh, He can actively lead us into the pathway of holiness. Secondly, we saw He brings the spirit of adoption. Now thirdly and lastly, I just want to quickly look at the other ministry that He does in us. He brings assurance to our life. Assurance of our salvation. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Uh, does, do any of your translations say the Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit? So there's a couple of translations that do that. Or does all your translations say with our spirit? Huh? With our spirit or to our spirit? With our spirit. With our spirit, okay. Yeah, there's a big division there too. I mean, is it, is it He is witnessing to our spirit within us? Or is the Holy Spirit witnessing with our spirit? So we now have two witnesses here that are witnessing that we are truly sons of the living God. Here's what's interesting about that is that under ancient Roman law of adoption, it required seven witnesses to witness a legal adoption. Uh, and there was a reason for that. Because, uh, you know, they didn't have computers back in those days. So what they wanted to make sure is if anything happened to mom or dad, you know, the whole issue of the whole estate's up for, for who's, who's going who's gonna to inherit it. And one of the kids might come in, the, of natural kids, and say, that guy was never adopted. It goes to me. In other words, there had to be some legal determination if, if mom and dad weren't around as to the legal adoption taking place. And so they had seven witnesses. They would witness the adoption. Here we see that there is an indwelling role of the Holy Spirit to be one of those witnesses with our spirit, I think, because we, there's a sense in which we all have a, a sense of assurance naturally in our heart anyway. But he bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. His role is to fend off doubts in your mind about whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. The Holy Spirit witnesses along with your spirit, your inner spirit, that you're saved. How does he do that? I mean, I'm not even sure I could fully understand how. I'll give you some ideas here, but try and work that through in your own mind. How does he do that? How does he give you that assurance, that confidence, that boldness that you're, you're truly saved and you're not lost? Uh, well, I don't believe he whispers those words in your ear. By the way, Don, you're a Christian. Did you know that? I just want to remind you today, Monday's coming up. You're going to be a Christian on Monday too. You know, he doesn't talk to us like that. But he does give us that inner confidence somehow in a very subjective way. He brings a gift. It's a gift of inward confidence that you're a child of God. He, he communicates that to us somehow. And, and we know when He does. And it's not with audible words. Now before I answer that question, let me just draw a distinction. I think this is, this is important stuff, assurance. This is really, really important. Because uh, if you struggle with doubts in your Christian life, it, it doesn't go well. You know, it should lead you in the, in the right direction. There is a difference in, in our theology between the security of the believer and the assurance of the believer. Do you understand the difference? In other words, from God's perspective, when He saves you, how long are you saved for? Does a timer go off and when does it go ring and go, boop, it's over with? Never. It's, it, it, you're secure in Christ. You know, we call that the perseverance of the saints. When he gives you a faith, he gives you a faith that's going to take you all the way to the end and you're never going to lose your salvation. So that's secure. But that's different from assurance. Because assurance is your appreciation, 
your experiential appreciation of whether or not I am a child of God. From God's perspective, yes, you're saved, you're always saved. But God, I don't feel that way today. I feel like maybe I've lost my salvation. And so I don't seem to have a full assurance that I'm a Christian. I have a lot of doubts in my heart. Usually uh, that lack of assurance comes from sin that's in our life. We're going to see that in a second. But not always. Sometimes it can come from a weak conscience. You just, you know, your conscience is so weak that uh, it's so easy just to doubt and to wonder, have I done that sin? Is that sin? And am I Christian? And I mean, this is a struggle that many uh, young people go through that uh, are raised in the church. And they believe in Christ. And they have faith in Christ. And maybe they heard preachers preach, you know, you've got to have fruit in your life. And show me the fruit in your life. And if you have enough fruit, you'll really be saved. And, and then they, they go in doubt and they wonder, well, do I have enough fruit in my life? Am I really saved? They talk about this. I don't have the same experience that they're talking about. So you can forfeit your confidence. Uh, let me show you this in, in the God's Word. It, it, this is important enough. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's a longer passage. We're going to draw out some words there. But I, I want you to see it with your own eyes. And, and remember where it is in your Scripture when you're dealing with issues of the security of the believer. Peter says this. He says, For this reason, this is verse 5, 2 Peter 1, 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and with self-control, steadfastness, and with steadfastness, godliness, and godliness unto brotherly affection or love. Now, with love. So you see what Paul's saying is, now, now that you have faith in Christ, now this is how you're to live. So add to that faith. Let's grow. Let's mature. Uh, let's, let's add virtue and let's add knowledge and let's add self-control and, and steadfastness and, and holiness and godliness and, and love. And look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Do you see what Peter's saying there? In other words, if you're growing in holiness, if your life is is becoming more like Christ, and these, these virtues are being added to your life, then you're going to grow in your knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life's not going to be unfruitful. You'll have assurance. But if these things are lacking in your life, in other words, if you can see no spiritual work of God in your life at all, there's no change in your life, you're absolutely flatlined as far as sin goes, and, and, and you're not repenting, and, and, and so you're at that point in your life, you become nearsighted. You can't see things clearly from God's perspective. And all of a sudden you've forgotten that you were cleansed. Now what's that? That's a loss of assurance, isn't it? You have forgotten that you were cleansed. It doesn't say you're not cleansed, but you forgot about it. You've lost your assurance. So this is one of the things that sin can do in our life, is that uh, it can show us that, uh, that perhaps there's a forfeiture of, of assurance that goes with it. Thus, from God's perspective, you can be eternally saved. But you can still... Be saved, but yet forfeit your appreciation for that salvation. You can still have doubts. Now, not all doubts come from sin. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is one place where that could be the possible cause of a lack of assurance. Like I said, it could also be a weak conscience. A person has a weak conscience. A person hasn't been taught right theologically. There's a lot of different reasons you could have a lack of assurance. It could be you're just not trusting what God says about your salvation. He said he's going to save you. Do you believe that? And trusting in what he said. 
But you can still be saved and forfeit your appreciation of salvation, feel like you're lost, have doubts, and truly be a Christian. So, one of the works of the Holy Spirit in your life as a Christian is He lives in you, He indwells you, and His Spirit now is actively bearing witness with your spirit that you are a son of God, a daughter of God. Again, this is present tense. That means he didn't do this on last Saturday and hasn't done it since. This is continual action of the uh, Spirit of God. He's continually bearing witness with your spirit that you're a son of uh, a daughter of God. It's an important ministry of the Spirit of God. We don't want to go over this too quickly. There's a dual ministry here, a dual testimony. The inward testimony of yourself and, the, and also the testimony of uh, the Spirit of God who bears witness alongside of your... There's an enemy out there, and you know he's there, and he's, he's already approached probably every believer here today, and that is he's out to accuse you. He's out to bring doubts in your mind. He, he's out to get you to forfeit your faith, turn around, walk away, uh, and he's good at it. And he's got that, we talk about that bony finger that likes to just, and you call yourself a Christian? Look what you're doing! You know, that kind of thing. And, but God knew this. And so he gave us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he's actively bearing witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. So when doubts come, you realize that you are not, this is important, you're not what you want to be. And, of course, Satan will tell you what, what that what is, but you are not what you were. See, that's what the Holy Spirit reminds you of. I might not be what I, what I need to be yet, but I know this, I'm not what I was. That's that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Through the fruit of obedience, the Holy Spirit affirms your salvation. He affirms God's love for you. He affirms and points you not to look within and yourself and all the doubts you have. He says, take your vision out from yourself to God Himself. Look at who He is. He's your Father. Look to the cross. Look what His Son did out of love for you. Think of all the the work that, that God has done on your behalf for your salvation. And then you begin to, oh yeah, yeah. Then you, The assurance begins to, to come back. That inward testimony. This is, by the way, a precious gift of God. You can't gen this up. You can't make this happen. I mean, it's, there's some Christians who are firm and strong in their assurance. There's other believers who struggle maybe all their life with, with real assurance. There's a battle for what we're talking about here. So it's not one of these axiomatic things. But on the other hand, it's a gift of God that He's given us to help us along the way. Uh, Realize your assurance can be forfeited at any time. Your assurance is not external. I mean, this is, this is the fundamental movement where there's been a lot of issues there that I think are, are damaging to many professing Christians. And that is, they'll have people walk down the aisle. They'll have people pray a prayer. They'll have people sign a card. And then they'll, they'll, they'll say, okay, once saved, always saved. You're never going to lose it. You believe that? Well, that's true if you really had it. But to give your, making that person feel a sense of assurance by an external testimony of a pastor or, or an elder or a deacon or some other brother in the Lord, we can't impose assurance to anybody. This is important. It's true that if you're truly saved, you'll never lose it. But if you, if you tell someone, if you ever have any doubts, da, 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 whatever, you know, there's people who have a false faith. There's what's called a spurious faith. There's people that have walked down the aisles and prayed prayers, and now they've had the nail put in their coffin and driven in by some preacher at some point in time who said, by the way, you're never going to lose it. And so here they are, 30 years old and living like hell, and they're doing that because what? They've never been saved. Then you bring the gospel to them. What do they say? Well, once saved, always saved. Where's your assurance? I had a good friend as an elder in our church in California. He went down to Monroe, Louisiana to, uh, as a professor down at the university there. And he says, Don, he says, I, I, I came here to be a witness, he says. And, uh, 
well, I've been struggling. He says, you got any suggestions? And I said, what's the problem? He says, everybody here is saved. I'm in the Bible belt. What's, what does Steve Lawson call it? I'm in the buckle of the Bible belt. And, well, I know I, I trusted Jesus when I was seven years old. I trusted Jesus when I was five years old. I trusted Jesus when I was, and once saved, always saved. He says, well, Don, how do you get them unsaved so they'll be saved? So we need to be careful that we're not giving a false assurance to anybody. The, the main assurance comes from the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I have worked with, with uh, some that, uh, you know, you bring all the, the work of the Spirit and all this, and it's to the point where, yeah, I'm trusting in Christ. But I still have doubts. And then you bring a more of a fundamental view. You say, well, did you, are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Are you repenting of your sin? This is what the Word of God says. You are saved. Do you believe? So you bring the external witness of their own life experience. And do you trust the Word of God alone? Anyway, we could talk more about assurance, but uh, we're blessed to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to bring us assurance. Let's let you, uh, how important is it? Well, without it, put your head down on the pillow at night and go to sleep. And toss and turn all night whether you're gonna, where are you going to be if you just die during the night. Without assurance, where are you going to be on the day that you die? I mean, unless you're suddenly evacuated from this life into the presence of Christ, and if you go through a death experience, how's it going to be on that day by yourself, alone, knowing that you're hours, minutes away from facing your Creator and your Savior? Boy, there's no greater blessing to have than to have the Son of God as your Savior. But there's no greater blessing to have the Spirit of God within us testifying that you are one of mine. Don't be afraid. You can face death with victory. You know, you look at uh, back to Christian again in Pilgrim's Progress. Remember him and he and Hopeful were heading across the river. And you think Christian's going to be the strong guy. I can do this. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm going across. There's, there's the celestial city. But he gets out in the water, this cold water of death. He's wading through it. I don't think I can find the footing. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what to do. And, you know, what? I think it's hopeful, isn't it? Is it hopeful? Is it was with him? It's okay. My, my, my feet are okay. Your feet can be okay. And so he has the assurance. Christian doesn't have the assurance. The helpful witness of another one who does have assurance got, got him safely across the other side. But on that day, on that, when we all have to step into that cold, cold river of death, the final, the final end of this life, and we find out whether this is all real or not, what a blessing and a gift it is to have full assurance that truly you're a child of God. So as we close, let's think with me uh, the wonder and the marvel of this passage. There's so much in here. Are you in Christ? The Spirit of God indwells you. What's He doing there? He's alive. What's He doing there? He's active. What's He doing there? He has a ministry. He's not passive. He's transforming you. Right this minute, He is transforming you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's using the preached Word to do that. This is His ministry. I mean, if I had to preach up here without the Spirit of God being involved in your life and my life and the process, what an f- act of futility this would be. But He's alive and active. He put you on the pathway to kill sin, leading you. Also, He's also bringing the spirit of adoption so you can cry out in prayer to your Heavenly Father of all that He's done and realizing His love for you without fear. And thirdly, he brings assurance to our heart, a witness, an inner testament, testamentary witness that you are a son of God. In the, by the way, I'm going um, assurance can come, it can go. You know, it's not; it's a gift of God. It's not something we drum up. Uh, sometimes people are strong, some people are weak, some people battle with it all their life. So I just don't want you to leave discouraged if you fear you're, not, you're struggling with assurance. 
uh, I can point you in the way and give you some good literature to read the might and encourage you at this time. These are blessings who are all who are in Christ. Remember verse 14, all who are the Son of God. Verse 15, all who are adopted by God. Verse 16, all who are sons of God. And if you're not a son of God, a daughter of God, you've never come to faith in Christ, and I just close by extending an invitation to you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin. And then His Spirit comes to indwell you and lead you into the pathway of everlasting joy and delight. And so, Father, we close thanking you for your word. Uh, once again, it's, it's so rich, so lofty, so powerful, so encouraging, uh, so full of love, so, so full of truth that is transforming. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Where would we be without it? 